Oh, my. Will they be happy back at the M Club in Las Vegas? I can only imagine. I believe JT, I think I see him dancing around the room right now. Oh. He got the whole city fired up. We come to the end of the game, and in sudden death overtime, Raiders 36, Cowboys 33. Jackpot, baby. <laughs> Unbelievable that we've got Brett Musburger on the JT and Looney podcast. How about that, Mr. Fung? JT and Looney podcast is powered by Bet Online. Back and better than ever, a new web interface. All the best props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online remains your number one spot in the universe for all the basketball and football action this season. Head to the new, improved, updated desktop or mobile website. Sign up today and get your 50% welcome bonus just for being friends with JT and Looney. That's a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use the promo code BELIEVE. That's the Believe Podcast Network. Our proud, proud partner. I don't know if they're proud, but that's our partner. B-L-E-A-V 50. That's the promo code. B-L-E-A-V 50. And get your signing bonus. Or your... Your welcome bonus from basketball, football, NHL, boxing, UFC, your favorite Vegas casino games. Take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021-2022 seasons at Bet Online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Bet Online, where the game starts, and now the podcast starts. <laughs> You're looking live at the JT and Looney Podcast, episode 109. Brett Musburger joins us. Wow. Uh, Brett, I want to jump into a bunch of topics. First, let's get this one out of the way about the Raiders and what you've seen this year with your great career, what happened with the John Gruden resignation and the Henry Ruggs fatality car accident that took the life of Tina Tintor. I don't think maybe you can answer this. I don't know of a football team in season that has remotely gone through anything like this in the history, 100-plus history of the NFL, how have you digested all this emotion on and off the field as you're covering this team? Uh, I totally agree with you. I don't think any team ha- has gone through this. Obviously, John Gruden is a, is a very dear friend of mine, and, and I spoke to him uh, the day after he stepped down. I, I had a nice talk with him on the telephone. And, of course, the team responded with a couple of wins, but then after the tragedy involving rugs it kind of took their breath away and it was so much i I don't think people realize uh, how emotionally draining things like that can be uh and Derek carr Derek carr had started to thrive under coach gruden so i really thought that he missed him and then his best deep threat is suddenly gone for the season you have to remake so many things now the youngsters and the coaches and God bless Rich Bisacci, he's such a great guy, pulled for him all the time. Uh, they said the right things, but I knew they were hurting. They had to be deep down, as so many people were uh, throughout this period. But they sort of stayed the course. And, and like I say, as far as I'm concerned, the Thanksgiving Day victory saved their season. Now, that doesn't mean I think they're automatically going to go to the playoffs. It's a tough stretch. It's a tough finishing stretch. And almost everybody in the AFC – is a playoff contender. Uh, I think they've set a record for how many teams are 500 or over right now uh, coming into week week 13. 
but it was it was very draining even for me. Uh, I was a huge, huge Rugs fan on the field. Uh, I remember his his great game winning catch against the Jets. Uh, I remember how he went up and he high pointed Howard of Miami, took the ball away, things like that. JT, it was hard on me. I, I and and even now I miss him uh, dearly, not being out there and. The other day, uh, one of the games, it wasn't a Dallas game, I think it was a previous game, I think there were 13 penalties uh, against the Raiders and like none against the Bengals until the fourth quarter. And I can only say to myself, that would never have happened under Gruden because Gruden, he would have buried the side judge in front of him. But you know what I mean. Okay, So, so it was a, it's something I miss dearly. I'm pulling for the guys going forward. I thought Deshaun Jackson, by the way, turned in maybe the biggest play of the year when he came down the sideline on that 56-yard touchdown uh, on the Raiders' first series against the Cowboys. I thought that was I thought that was that uplifting moment when Derek Carr and the offense said, wait a minute, this guy's still got some juice. Uh, maybe we can get some mileage out of him. So it's, but, but they've asked the Raiders to do a lot. Uh, I think ownership has handled this extremely well going forward. Uh, you would think that Mark Davis obviously is thinking about next year, but he says he's not. He's focused on this year. And that, that is what he should say. And that is what he should stand behind and back Basachi and the, and the rest of the coaches. Brent Musburger joins us. And, Brent, should we make anything out of the 650,000 emails from the Washington football team that had a deep effect on Mark Davis's team with the Gruden resignation and what's happened and John Gruden and no one defends the emails and the contents of the emails but the effect that it had on an organization in Vegas when it was all about the Washington football team and an investigation where everybody would like the league to be a little bit more transparent. I mean, we don't have anything to look at. Uh, there was a couple of congresswomen who that want to talk to Roger Goodell, maybe have him up on Capitol Hill. This is a major storyline, and John Gruden suing the league. Yeah, and I certainly understand uh, Gruden's feeling, and I understand Mark Davis's feeling about this, too. That, uh, However, I, I do want to point out one thing that, that – Gets, makes this story kind of messy. And first of all, mm-hmm. as I told Coach, whoever took you out, John, that was a paid assassin, okay? That, that was one of the best hit jobs that I've been a, ever been around, okay? They, did, they didn't go to their media goombas. They didn't leak this to Adam Schefter uh, or one of those guys who breaks stories. They first went to the Wall Street Journal. And when Gruden was still coaching after that, then they dumped the rest of it on the New York Times. That was a professional hit job, but I want to tell everybody that I'm not completely sure it was somebody in the NFL. There was a second lawsuit involved, okay, uh, between the owner, Snyder of Washington, and a former general manager. And that means that a lot of outside people had access to those emails that they were going through. So I think the hardest part for Gruden's lawyers to prove is that somebody from the National Football League actually leaked that. Because if it is somebody from the NFL, shame on them, okay? Mm -hmm. Because Mark Davis should have been told in the summer when he had something to do about it. Now, my ultimate second guess, and believe me, this came from James Lofton in a a conversation we had when he was in town broadcasting a game. Uh, Hindsight's 2020. But I wish, if, if we look at Ezekiel Elliott, he was suspended for six games, okay? Uh, for sexual transgressions. I wish that Coach Gruden had been suspended uh, for four, five, or six games. To t- but again, I want to be 
perfectly clear about this. This is the ultimate second guess by me. I didn't think of it at the time. Um, I, I didn't think that John's career should be ruined by his stupidity. Uh, it had been so long ago. Uh, I just don't think we, we need to out people for that. Uh, but so be it. You know, uh, the Raiders have to pick up and go forward, and, and we will see what happens. Brent Mossberger joins us. So, Brent, let's move on to a couple other storylines. How's it been for you personally now to be broadcasting, you know, on the road again? You have so many friends, and I'm talking about not only broadcasters and coaches, but guys who are handling the cameras, people you worked at with throughout your career. What has it been like getting back on the road with your son Scott Lincoln Kennedy? Because compared to what was happening at Allegiant Stadium at the beginning of COVID, how much have you enjoyed getting out on the road again? Uh, you know, I, I've loved every minute of it. Uh, obviously, working with Lincoln Kennedy has been a treat. Uh, he's such a great guy to, to be around. And, and when you go in and out in stadiums, I just get in behind him a couple of steps and let him <laughs> clear the way. Okay. So, and, I, and Scott, of course, is a good traveling buddy and like that. And got to see so many people from CBS work with Jim Nance. So many of those uh, cameramen were actually there at CBS back in the days of the uh, NFL today. I guess my favorite moment is we were Lincoln and I and Scott were waiting for the elevator after the Cowboy game and, and the fellow who was managing traffic there standing up and he came back and he said, Oh, he said, uh, you know, I remember you from oh back with Phyllis George and Jimmy the Greek and Herb Cross. I guess I can forgive you for wearing that Raider cap today. You know, so <laughs> it, was, it was kind of cute. He was so nice. And uh, overall, uh, the people have been great. I love the fans. I love to be around them. Uh, I love their input. That's the reason why this is a big business is because of, of the fans, not because of us. Uh, it's the people who call JT. It's the people who watch on Thursday. I mean, that was an enormous an enormous audience. I've had people tell me it wasn't yeah. the best football game I ever saw, but it was one of the most entertaining. And I think that's great. That's what the NFL stands for is great entertainment. Brett Musburger joins us from your decades in college football when you see Brian Kelly leave Notre Dame. I mean, Notre Dame to go to LSU, and then Lincoln Riley, as we talked, I have a son who's a junior at Oklahoma, and I watched Lincoln Riley coach at Oklahoma this year, and I go, wait, wait, Brent, the timeline doesn't match. He's coaching Bedlam. He's getting out-coached by Gundy. He says it's midnight. He's, he's traveling back, and then the next day he's the USC head coach, and Kelly's texting his team after he leaves them. He's already down in Baton Rouge to come back for a meeting. How has this topic evolved in your career with coaches leaving players, and now players get a chance to get in the portal and make decisions on their own, too, to leave. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It, it has changed a lot since I was around it uh, every day, JT. There's no, there's no doubt about that. I have to tell you, I'm not completely surprised by Lincoln Riley, okay? I had heard gossip that he was unhappy with Oklahoma and Texas moving uh, to the SEC, and the reason why is recruiting because that swings that door wide open uh, for the Alabamas of the world to barge into Texas, where Oklahoma uh, made its living uh, throughout the years, because uh, you can now tell a youngster, hey, you're going to get to see your son play, because we're going to be playing over here, Texas A&M, Texas, Oklahoma. They're now in the SEC. So I wasn't completely surprised. And Southern California is another of those recruiting hotbeds. And that system that Lincoln made work so well down at uh, Norman, Oklahoma, uh, it could work wonders in Southern California. USC can, can become a power elite within a couple of years under his leadership. Having said that, 
when I heard, and I heard it on television, that Brian Kelly was leaving, I almost fell off my couch. Uh, I, I was totally, totally shocked. I knew him very well mm-hmm. back in his Cincinnati days. NBC has the home contract with Notre Dame, so I wasn't around him as much over there. But Notre Dame was his dream job. Now, he's an Irish politician. Uh, he's a son of Irish politicians in the Boston area. And no one works a room. Well, Bill Clinton did, but no one works a room any better than Brian Kelly. A lot of Catholics down in Louisiana, he'll be fine. Mm-hmm. He, he will do well. But it shocked me completely that, that he would leave the Fighting Irish. And he's got his hands full because, oh, by the way, you've got to play a dude by the name of Nick Saban <laughs> every year when you go to LSU. You know what I mean, J.D.? I know what you mean. <laughs> Wrapping it up with Brent Musburger. Brent, finally, when you got into the space of sports gaming with VEASAN and now the association with DraftKings and Circa and how big it exploded and your vision with a lot of other businessmen and businessmen, including family. Did you ever think this platform would explode so quickly now with legalization, the handle in New Jersey, the handle in Nevada. And as you know, as a businessman, how the handle's going to increase all over the United States. And what are you seeing next, Rand? I think a lot of our listeners would like to know, what do you think is the next evolution of sports gaming, media, streaming, and how you see it going forward? Yeah, let me start with that one. Uh, the, ne- the next evolution will be something I have seen uh, in Europe and in Australia. And I didn't actually see it in stadiums, but I was in Asia enough to believe that they've got it, and that's kiosks inside the stadium. And I believe that Wrigley Field is going to open the first one in the United States that has access from the stadium itself to be able to bet during a game or before if you're going into a stadium. Because it has exploded so quickly, and I guess, I guess JT, I'm a little surprised at how quickly it exploded. I knew it was going to be big, believe me. I, I knew that because I knew how many illegal dollars were being wagered offshore Mm -hmm. and that's money that could have been taxed by the states and i knew how many people enjoyed coming to nevada and betting legally and then hanging out especially at watch parties for march madness and on sunday during the during the nfl season but the evolution will eventually take us to in-game wagering at the arenas okay that in Europe and uh, down in Australia and over in Asia, in-game is much bigger than what we call pre-flop uh, wagering on the games. And I can see here in the United States it's starting to grow because of the apps on the telephone. People can sit in their living room, enjoy a game, and, and make a wager as unfolding during timeouts. Of course, they'll, they'll give you an updated line and an updated over-under number. Uh, I've always been a recreational better. I I would not be able to make a living, and I warn everybody, you be really, really careful. These guys who make these numbers, and they've got computers, and they know what they're doing, believe me. So, But if you want to have fun with it, I've always been in favor of it. I think it adds to the enjoyment of the game. I think it helped fuel the, uh, the National Football League. And, man, has it ever exploded. You put your finger on it, Jay-Z. Yeah, it's incredible what's happening here, Brent. Again, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. The Raiders had a win. There are a lot of games left. It's an honor of mine to come on the broadcast before and after you, sit behind you in the fourth quarter in the booth at home, and still on this journey together, let's have a big push to the postseason, and I really appreciate you coming on with us. 
Uh, thanks a lot, JT. Love your work, my man. I'll listen to you on Sunday. Go into the game, and I'll see you at the stadium. You Take care, it. my man. Thank you, sir. There he is, Brent Musburger. Wow. I hope you enjoyed that. Deep dive with the Godfather. <laughs> enjoyed it. He's the soundtrack of our, our childhood. The guy brings an A game to life. And I love the fact that we just had him on. Check, one, two, three. Check, check, one, two. When the when the leader of the band comes out, not ready, he says, check, check, one, two, three. I once went to see the Rolling Stones at Rich Stadium, and the wind was blowing so hard that they had to come out and get rid of the whole elaborate pastel stage set. You know how elaborate the Stones stayed. They came out with razor blades and just got rid of it all. And so when George Thorogood and Journey... And then the Rolling Stones had to come out, you know, had time, you know, behind the curtain when they're testing their bass, when Bill Wyman was testing the bass, and Ron Wood and Keith Richards were testing the guitars, and the late, great Charlie Watts was, was you know, fixing his drum set just right. They had to come out and do it with the crowd watching. It was, it was really a unique experience. So then when somebody said, ladies and gentlemen, the Rolling Stones, he was really only introducing Mick Jagger because they had to come out in front of us all and don't, 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 and test their instruments. And it was really, really cool because it was weather related. They couldn't leave up the, uh, the stage set because they didn't want it blowing over. Well, the Beatles get back now enters the Mount Rushmore of my life. Not 2021, not in this new millennium, all time documentaries by Peter Jackson on the making of the Let It Be album, the lost tapes. Well, the tapes they had when they made Let It Be in black and white. He went in and digitized it, colorized it, left it alone for the most part. Didn't step on it. Didn't add Morgan Freeman's voice in the background. (laughs) And it was the most incredible three-part documentary, the payoff, the payoff of the greatest musicians, arguably of all time with the greatest library of all time, deciding as they're breaking up, which none of them admitted that they were going to put together, let it be and prepare it for a concert or a TV special film at all. As they didn't know they were about to break up and get onto the roof of Apple and perform this was mind blowing. It was incredible how to build the song from scratch that turned out to be the greatest songs of your life. And to hear them bang keys and come up with pencils and pens, writing words that turned out to be on let it be. And for Peter Jackson to make this documentary, it was life changing. How many episodes is it? Three. They're all how, long. They're all okay. long. Each one, I could get you the exact. It felt like it was an hour and 20, hour and a half okay. per episode. But I was talking to my best friend, Jimmy B, on this, and we both said. And he's a musician. It, yeah, he's a big-time musician. We said, if this story wasn't told and this was just lost and you had to go back and watch the making of Let It Be in black and white and you didn't get it and you didn't really get the sound of it and hear the conversations and what they were thinking. If we didn't know this history, we don't know the Beatles. You have to watch this. If you want to know the history of the greatest band, arguably of all time and their breakup and to get behind the scenes when McCartney took his bass off as he was on the roof and they finished performing their five or six songs, they never played again. Yeah. 
And they got it. And they got it. And they didn't have drones back then. They set up cameras and they put coats on and it was cold. And they went out there in the street and the police were trying to shut them down. And you go, oh, my God, these geniuses, the journey that they took us on. Thank you, Peter Jackson, Lord of the Rings, all your movies for for seeing this unearthing this and unbelievably understanding it would be great. And they never got to play again together. We never know if they would have, and they probably would have, except then John Lennon died, and that made it impossible. It was like the doors never got back together once Jim Morrison died. It was just impossible uh, for them to get together and play live ever again. You know, there was they were getting high at the Dakota one night, John and Paul, and if you remember, uh, one, I think Father Guido Sarducci, or there was some some gag. Maybe it was Lauren Michaels that came on and offered them a check of $1,000 <laughs> or something really low and funny if they'd get together uh, again and, and do it on Saturday Night Live. And John and Paul actually considered driving down and performing on Saturday Night Live, but they didn't do it. And, it's, inc- it's incredible that this was made at the end of 69, the end. Yeah. At right after New Year's and Lennon died in 80 and they were breaking up. You can tell by watching this documentary why they broke up the pressure, how big of a life that they live from 60, 59, 60 to 69, 70 would have worn everybody out. But when you see guys in their late 20s putting this masterpiece together and you say, Jesus, why couldn't they have stayed together? Just take a break. And you know what? My takeaway was, Tom is that after Brian Epstein died, their manager at a young age, they never had an adult. They never had anybody tell them where they had to be, how to be on time, yeah. to do this. And Paul started gaining the power. And you know, Peter Jackson talked about this. He loved seeing the footage. A lot of people thought that it was breakup footage and it was going to be very uncomfortable. These guys were having a blast right down to their final day at Apple, putting this project together. And I'm happy that came out in the documentary. You know, a lot of times you can't become legendary unless it's cut short. Uh, You know, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young are are quasi-legendary, but they're old and fat. And the Beatles, you know, Jesus, Marilyn Monroe, James Dean. Think of all the, you know, the people who die at 30. And the Beatles were pretty much done by the time they were all 30. And then John Lennon died. It made it impossible that they would ever get together and do a concert again. And remember, they didn't even know how to do concerts right mm. until the 80s, really. <laughs> and so they once once the concert science got down, people were able to figure out how to put bands in arenas and stadiums and do it right. You know, none of that was done right before uh, before the 80s, really. And once they saw that it could be done right and they could make a lot of money, they might have gotten back together. Still, right now, when you take a look at who's who's really raking in the dough, it's nostalgia bands. Mm-hmm. It's the Rolling Stones. It's Madonna. It's people who were uh, popular 20, 30 years ago. The nostalgia of ACDC rakes in a lot of money. Uh, it's 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 nostalgia that brings back you know, <laughs> Jimmy Buffett. Uh, and but but back to the Beatles, it is. You know, it, it wouldn't have been the same had they gotten back together. That was the legend. They stopped. I love the film because Peter Jackson took 60 hours of film 
that was shot back in 1969 as they were looking to write a new album and to get a TV show on the air. And he edited it down to eight. And that's what fascinated me. We've seen a lot of films and documentaries. Wait, he took how many hours? He took 60 hours of footage and edited it down to eight hours over the three parts. And when you watch it, and it was a 22-day process of deadlines and moving the show back and leaving this big, giant movie set where they thought they were going to do it and then going back to Apple and getting in the basement of Apple where there was a doorman and young girls were waiting outside the door because they wanted to see Ringo and Paul come in. There were no locks on the door. Police didn't have guns, you know, and say staying back. And it's the biggest victory in the life of Yoko Ono. It's about the victory of Yoko. Everybody thought for 50 years Yoko broke up the Beatles. Mm -hmm. No, Yoko sat next to John in every recording session. Paul, Ringo, George, and the great Billy Preston on keyboards. Bringing him in was incredible. What he did. And Yoko doesn't move. She's right on top of the guitar, petting John like a cat and kissing his cheek the entire time. And Paul wasn't upset. George wasn't upset. George in the 22 days, quits the Beatles. They have to go to his home twice. Ringo's home twice, have a meeting to bring him back because he was George and Paul was just all us Paul's songs on this Let It Be. Right. From Let It Be to Get Back, you could tell it was Paul's record along with John. But Yoko didn't break up the Beatles now. For everybody who thought of that nasty conspiracy, they all love Yoko. I love that it was there and it makes Yoko look like she was abused for 50 years and she never should have been good. I'm glad because, you know, that sometimes when things like that happen and we'll get to that with even the college football coaching carousel and then I hate that cliche and I just used it. But when people need something or someone to blame, people need somewhere to vent their anger and they did it with the Rolling Stones. I mean, with the Rolling Stones, with the Beatles uh, at Yoko, because people needed a simple reason why the band broke up. And, you know, one great story, one great story about after they broke it up and Paul uh, in, uh, had, you know, had taken off on his solo career and it was skyrocketing with wings. John Lennon did an interview with Playboy magazine and they asked him what he thought of Paul McCartney's a career post Beatles and does music. And John Lennon said, ah, it's a bunch of silly love songs. And then, so Paul (laughs) countered with writing the song, silly love songs. Great song. And that was Paul McCartney's greatest selling song of all time. (laughs) One of my favorites. Wow. Yeah. And one last thing on the get back documentary. If you look at the Let It Be soundtrack and a couple of the songs, which the famous ones were Get Back, obviously Let It Be, The Long and Winding Road. Mm. When you see Paul McCartney try to figure out the opening line to The Long and Winding Road, you sit there and go, oh, my God, right in front of us on this Peter, Peter Jackson documentary, he's got it. He's got a camera, not Peter Jackson, but the filmmakers mm-hmm. back then at the birth of the song that they wrote in days. And as they put get back and the beginning of the song talks about Tucson, Arizona, 
There was no Tucson, Arizona in the song, and they're looking for, hey, what's the city in Arizona? You know, and they, they come up with it in a session. They <laughs> drop it in the song, and for 50 years, you know the words to all these songs. That's my biggest takeaway, why we put uh, musicians on such a high pedestal. The art, the talent, and the ability to, to come up with an idea, the art, and take it all the way to the end when the producer in the sound room says we got it and that's what this is about this is why this documentary will change your life oh what's great about what you just said and there's two two things to go with two two important points i want to make one is you know, the, the the john lennon documentary on, i think it was on uh, netflix where some guy comes to john's house and he believed that john was talking to him personally through the music and john went out to talk to him to this troubled youth and John was, was saying, oh, my God, we're just trying to write a song and hope people like it. <laughs> and which you get to see in the documentary, as you're describing, they're just trying to write a song and find the right words. And it has no deeper meaning to some guy who's living in his parents' basement in Chicago. And and they're just trying and people find so much more deeper meaning sometimes in art than really somebody's just trying to put the right color paint on the canvas and hope people like it. That's number one. Number two, this is something Elvis fans need to see and Frank Sinatra fans, if they're both still alive. And that is to see what real musicians look like. <laughs> because Elvis and Frank Sinatra just sang everyone else's songs uh, and had everyone else write their songs and compose their songs. They were wildly talented, but this was a whole new generation of renegade people and musicians who said, I'm going to write my own music. And that's when rock and roll really took off. Not with Elvis, but when people like the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and Led Zeppelin and the Eagles, et cetera, et cetera, started writing their own music. And as you can see, sometimes you're just slapping it together and crossing your fingers and hoping you get it right. What's your email address? <laughs> oh, there's there's no Elvis or Frank Sinatra fans listening to this. Or Jackie Gleason, by the way, who never wrote his own jokes, as people give Dave wow. Chappelle crap. Uh, oh, that would be what's okay. Looneyonfox at gmail.com. I have been in the middle of the college football coaching carousel. Yes. And I'm deeply fascinated by it. And I got some problems with it. And it's incredible. Most of my problems, again, are from a media perspective. We'll throw this out again. There's a lot of people that write columns about the media who've never been behind a microphone, right, don't know right. what it's like to put content together. They just listen and cut it up and they go, I don't like that. I don't like Joe Buck. A-Rod's good, but Barkley's better. But they've never done it, so they don't right. know what it's like. Well, when it comes to this story, I'm fascinated by the media because there's fanboys in LA that want Lincoln Riley because they want to go to lunch with Lincoln Riley. <laughs> They'd love to get a phone call or a text from Lincoln Riley. There's other people like my son, who's a junior at Oklahoma, who's devastated. And he drove to Lincoln Riley's last game, which was Bedlam in Stillwater, Oklahoma, as my son went with his OU gear on. And at that point in time, it's my theory that Lincoln Riley already was taking the job at USC. And since then, there's been a light cover-up about Lincoln. When did you get the call? <laughs> oh, you got it after the game that you lost 
that could have put you into the final four. You would have at least played in the big 12 championship game. You coach like shit in that game. And I have a lot of high praise for Lincoln Riley. He's been a great coach, but in that last game, he just wasn't tight with his offensive play calling. Then the next day, the families that he's taking with them, the coaches who are coming with them, his little girls, he, he talked about the children who can have <laughs> a better life there. And Tom, I'm led to believe that it happened between one in the morning and seven in the morning that he closed that Oklahoma chapter, one of the best schools and ended up at USC. It stinks. It smells wrong. We'll forget about it in two weeks because USC is going to be great down the road. I just don't like the way it played out. Well, you also don't like the way it played out because it injured your son. You know, it, uh, it, it, and, 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 and you're a loyal guy. And but I don't as a fan, but my son's a fan. He's not a player. The right. Players, the players are the ones that got screwed because they were part of recruiting classes that are coming in on top of that. And the coach just said, I'm out of here. It's, it's insulting to the players because the coach sits in their living room and brought them to that school and talked them to joining him on this great journey. And then especially the freshmen who we, who we, uh, and the guys who recently got there, the guys that are coming in this year who he talked into and recruited, talked into going to Oklahoma days and weeks and months ago with a great, you know, great motivational speakers as great coaches tend to be great motivational speaking in the living room with the parents and grandparents sitting there. And now he's gone. And, you know, we, we have a loyalty issue a lot of times in our society. People don't make lifetime commitments anymore to anything. Well, something you said, and I quoted you a lot this week on radio. I said, Tom Looney's great line. You're allowed to leave Ben and Jerry's to go across the street and work yes. for Baskin and Robbins. If they yep. give you more money, you could make any decision. So I'm not knocking Lincoln Riley for going to SC. I actually think SC is a better job than Oklahoma. But the point becomes, how did he do it? And when did he do it? And when did his coaches start recruiting there? When did he get an idea on it? And should there be a cover-up? Is he lying about it? And not lying where he's going to go to prison and all of this, but OU compliance is looking into it. And the bottom line is he's leaving the SEC. You want another conspiracy theory is a lot of OU fans are calling him a traitor. They're selling T-shirts. And all he's doing is going to another school to be a coach. Okay, we're not talking about a guy who's putting out oil fires, right. who's running uphill to a machine gun nest in the military. He's just coaching football, but it burns people. And I go to Brian Kelly at Notre Dame where your brother went. When you send a text message to your kids and say, meet me at 7 a.m. While you're still involved in the college poll to play in the national championship tournament, I'm going to tell you why I'm leaving. Show up at 7 a.m. It sucks. It's a shitty way of doing business. And both of these coaches are changing their lifestyle and doing what they want to do. I'm cool with that. They both didn't handle it properly. Well, first of all, if anybody sends me a message ever to meet them at 7 a.m. or they'll call me at 7 a.m., they're on the shit list right away. <laughs> ever since high school, I've never gotten up that early. Very, very lucky. Never worked in a cubicle. But uh, I, I do. when I said people have the right to go from Baskin-Robbins to Ben & Jerry's, I was usually talking about players. And I was talking about players uh, switching colleges, players, you know, about LeBron James 
you know, wanting to go from Cleveland to Miami because he doesn't want to live down the street from mommy forever. He wants to know what it's like to go uh, live in the big city with the bright lights, as young guys do. So I stuck up for him there. And players, with coaches and the recruiting, it's kind of messy because it turns these uh, motivational speakers into liars. Or, or they, they mislead kids. And uh, you'll start. You know, you'll start your freshman year if you come to Oklahoma. And then the guy that said you're going to start is gone. There's a lot. It's, it's much messier when coaches do this. You know, and this is supposed to be institutions of higher learning where you're teaching guys to have great character. And, you know, sometimes it's it's not a good look for the leader to do that. It's amazing. It's a great sports radio topic. It really is. Yeah, yeah. Because when you leave, you leave, you have to break bonds and commitments. And that sucks. Yeah. No one wants to do that. We work in radio where a lot of the scoundrels at the top will let you go on a Friday when you had, when you thought you had a show on Monday, right. we, we come from that world where, you know, everybody could love you on a Friday. And then on a Monday you're up on social media. Why aren't you at your old job? So or we, they'll call they, you when you're on vacation, right? Yeah. They'll call you on vacation, but this issue becomes so much bigger because all it does is help the rich get richer. So Brian Kelly goes from Notre Dame where he suggests he can't win because he can get better players at LSU the elephant in the room is the education. It's a much better education at Notre Dame. So what Brian Kelly is telling the world is that I can't get the LSU Alabama players academically into Notre Dame. So I'll never win a championship. I'll be close. And Lincoln Riley, people are suggesting, well, Lincoln, your school's about to go to the SEC. Well, you can lose your first two out of three games in conference. You're never going to play in the national right. championship. Go to USC where you only have to beat Oregon, right? You only have to play one big non-conference game and beat Oregon, and you'll be in the final four, and you'll have a, sh a shot at winning a championship. So it's the rich getting richer, players getting paid with name, image, and likeness, and coaches going from when they used to make two or three million now they're making more than NFL head coaches, Tom. They're better jobs than the Jaguars. It's a better job than maybe being Joe Judge of the New York Giants or Robert Soller of the Jets. Well, it might be a better job, but you don't have to hop on a plane and fly to Tuscaloosa from South Bend, which is hard to get into Tuscaloosa or Elmira. It's hard to get in there, in and out, and back home to your own bed. Because Notre Dame, he's got to fly all over the country. At LSU, he can drive down the street. It's there's six blue chip players living in that state and and they can drive home over the years they were driving home listening to us the coaches that just had to drive over the years who we've interviewed but that that's a tough part of that job i don't know if it's ever a better job in college because of all the work you got to do when it's supposed to be the off season i'll tell you this much will the teams it was an epiphany to me to say this about lincoln riley it's the same thing in the Pac-12 as it is in the ACC with Dabo Sweeney and Clemson or what happens with Miami in the future. You can only lose one game with this format. Yeah, that don't change. Yeah, right. It doesn't matter where you play. Everybody's going crazy about Brian Kelly. Will he win at LSU? Will he have better players? Okay, let's, let's agree he gets better players. Will Lincoln Riley do a better job at SC than Oklahoma? Let's agree he will. If Lincoln Riley loses to Cal on the road in Berkeley – because his kickoff returner fumbles the ball at the three-yard line, he's out. So the pressure in college football 
There's only like 10 teams that can compete for a national championship. Oh, by the way, ask Jim Harbaugh how hard it's been to get past Ohio State even to be considered for the conference championship game until now. So everybody making it out to be that all these guys are going to go win and they're all great coaches. Only one's going to win. And lately his name has either been Nick Saban or Dabo Sweeney. It's got to be so nerve wracking for these coaches when, and I'm thinking, I think just for some reason standing out in my brain is Jim Harbaugh. I think his first year at Michigan, Michigan state game, it was terrific. Michigan's kicking Michigan state's ass. And then, (laughs) And then Michigan's long snapper, you know, punts, <laughs> snaps it six feet over the punter's head. And all he really did. Yeah. And, and then Michigan State ended up getting that ball, running it into the end zone and winning that game by upset. upset and then everyone says Harbaugh sucks. <laughs> it just, it can be so nerve wracking and get rid of Harbaugh. And how big was that win, that Michigan, Michigan State win? And sometimes, you know, it takes one thing about Michigan, as you can see, if you have a little patience with your coach and Notre Dame with Kelly, have a little patience with the coach. It was a little rough. As my mother, who has early onset dementia, used to always say that Kelly sucked and he had no con- she didn't use that word, uh, but she had he had no concept of time of, of clock management. That was the last most clear. <laughs> That's what was right. Yeah, that's very, a, very it, good. yeah, that's what she always would say about Coach Kelly, and then eventually even got better at that over the years. And and so that's the problem also with any time. You know, take a look at even at the professional level, some of the most consistently good franchises like the Pittsburgh Steelers have had three coaches in our life. They've had three. So that you know, some of those institutions to stick with their good coaches and don't fire them on a win, tend to do better. And that's why Notre Dame's been doing so well over the last several years. As we record this podcast, and we're doing this on December 1st, and we greatly appreciate you listening and sharing and downloading it. Uh, A few hours ago, the first confirmed U.S. case of the Omicron uh, coronavirus variant detected in California. Okay, here's the deal. We have a lot of respect and fear and just... We, we concentrate throughout the life of this podcast on what's happening with coronavirus. We haven't made light of it. And there's been so many assholes in the media who guessed wrong initially because this podcast might be new to you. And Looney and I have talked about for a couple of years when this came out, almost two years, that so many people figured they had to have an opinion early before the scientists, the doctors, yeah. the emergency room nurses that they all said, oh, it'll be gone in a month. Oh, it'll be gone in two months. And they did that and they put the, they put it out there. And these people are still out there. So if they got it wrong that badly, they're not allowed to talk about it anymore. They they made the biggest mistake, I think, of their media careers, getting a pandemic wrong. They didn't get an election wrong. They got a pandemic wrong. And they're still chirping in the background. So here's what I think is going to happen. Hate being in the prediction business with football and everything else. One of two things, either our vaccines, because I got my booster, got my shots and my booster. These things aren't going to work because Omicron's so fucking big that we're in trouble or Ooh. it's going to work and we're going to be OK. And we might need a little tweak to it, but they're either going to shut airports down, shut businesses down. People are going to complain more. We're seeing a worldwide travel ban where current president ripped the old president for it. Now he has to live in that world. 
Tom, it's going one of two ways. One, we got control of it already, thank God. Or B, we don't know shit, and it's back. Well, you got fooled. The tweet about uh, about that they they spun that Biden was knocking Trump for travel bans about COVID was really about a Muslim travel ban, and he was referring to the Muslim travel ban over the years, and about the president have a record of uh, of that type of thing, and so that was uh that but that was a tweet that went out over uh, worldwide and made it look as though joe biden had knocked the the covid uh the covid bans before in terms of travel uh i think that we have to try you know if guys if doctors and politicians are just swinging and trying to hit the ball over the fence with this mysterious virus and trying to do the right thing then just take, keep the politics out of it. Take a look at what the other countries are doing as well that don't have the same parties and liberal conservatives or leaders. If you don't even trust ours, what are the other countries doing? They're doing similar things. People are trying to do the right thing so obese and old people don't die. It's mostly those two categories. And in this culture, we know a lot of obese people. And it's part of our culture in America. And so we have to protect them so they don't die. We have to try to do everything we can with our vaccinations and our masks. Our vaccination's perfect. Why do we keep having to get another one? Well, we do with the flu shot, too. Relax on that. Just get it. Our max, mask's perfect. Eh, who, who knows? But let's all get together as a team and try to make sure people don't die. And what's going to happen with this new variant? It's just simply because we've all been educated on it. Either we believe in the fake news, we believe in what we like, we believe our doctors, we believe our cable news channel that tells us what to believe when it comes to coronavirus. We know how deadly it could be to people that are elderly and ill, and they count just as much as a LeBron James or a 24-year-old football player who misses one game because he's in protocol and then doesn't have it in healthy. We got to remember the 61-year-old Latino woman who's obese and she dies from it. Her life means just as much as Aaron Rodgers, who had it and was able to get through it and wasn't vaccinated. Thank you. But what I think is going to happen here is we're we're used to now other countries saying we have one case of it. We're going to shut down the whole country. Okay, it's coming from South Africa. We're not going to allow anyone in this country from there. Mm -hmm. And if this happens again, the stock market crashed two out of the last three days crashed went down significantly because people are unaware of what's going to happen and i've had a lot of respect for fauci he's committed his whole life from aids all the way through other incredible diseases trying to help it out but when he's there and others are like uh excuse me dr ja what does this mean um i don't know i I think it'll i think we'll be okay i think we might need another booster or you might need i'm like okay it's on again not to be afraid of it. Well, they don't have enough they information yet. They don't Do- have enough. Doctors won't. Doctors don't like the speculation business without information. Engineers are like that. My brother's an engineer. Scientists are like that. They don't like just winging it like you. Know, we, <laughs> we've been winging it for hours a day, every day. And the most important thing you said there about different news organizations or talk show hosts. Listen to your doctor, not talk show hosts. But what you are we in, doing? You live in California, and you remember a year ago, a year ago where you live in L.A., mm-hmm. Venice Beach. We both go to the Bay Area. 
where every restaurant was closed and you yeah. could only eat outside. Remember that? Yes. There was no such thing as the Omicron variant. None. No one ever heard of it. If it turns out that this variant, for argument's sakes, is more deadly or easily transferable and people can get it, knowing what the politicians did before, what do you think they will do now if it turns out that more people are getting it, especially those who are vaccinated? Yeah, I just hope we try to worry about humanity over your job. I always want politicians to worry about what's right or wrong more than political party or their job or their reelection prospects if they choose position A. Position A should always be do what's right for the country and humanity, not your reelection. Well, I'm going to wrap it up with this. The one thing we've learned on this podcast with this topic for the last couple of years, updating the amount of people who died, updating the amount of people who are sick and hospitalized. We are both not in the prediction business because those who have predicted what would happen have all been wrong on every side of it. But people still believe they need to predict what's going to happen in regards to this new variant, like it's a Bills Jets game and give the total, the score, who wins in the record. No, you don't. All you got to do is live your life, sit back and watch it unfold and hope that the people who are in charge do a great job and help us all from the scientists to the doctors to the people in charge. Well, yeah, listen to scientists and doctors over your friends who thought science was boring and never did their homework and now all of a sudden want to do research. Oh, wow. You listen to all 49 minutes and eight seconds of the JT and Looney podcast. Yeah, Brett Musburger will do that, right? Thank you so much. Wasn't Brett amazing? This is like front page news now. Pro Football Talk has it as the lead story. Stuff that Brett said. Wow. Cool. JT and Looney podcast is powered by Bet Online, where the game starts. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.